Do you like delectable snacks? Do you like superheroes? Do you like snacks and superheroes? Well, buddy, this episode of Dave's Daredevil Podcast is just for you. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. I am your host, J. David Weeder, covering everything I can about the man without fear, Daredevil. This time around, it's another rainy day episode. Once again, being recorded on a rainy day. Serendipity, you decide. Rainy day episodes are a series of episodes I put aside just in case I miss a recording or something of that nature. I hold them, however, if I get enough and I'm far enough ahead, these will be released in sequence, which should be an interesting set of weeks in terms of episode content. Because with Rainy Day episodes, I do avoid the Daredevil title itself, I mostly do it off the cuff, and I try to find subjects that are off the beaten path. This week, I've got a doozy of a topic. To set it up properly, let me take you back in time. Jump in the Wayback Machine with me and take a trip back to the summer of 1991. An incredibly important summer to me, mainly because it was the first year I did summer school. Not so much because academically I was a failure, but more that, well, if I did summer school, my parents figured I would be out of their hair and less likely to start fires. I'm thankful because I actually did summer school every summer until I left high school. And it did structure those summers that let me stay in contact with other kids my age and helped ease some of the social anxieties I had, as well as making sure that I got to take really cool PE classes. Come on, man. I took a golf class. I played golf for the summer. And when I went back to school for my junior year, I didn't have to dress down in P.E. class. I got to take study hall. Take that. But 1991, very important year. It's the year I discovered the Hostess fruit pie. I'm just going to be really upfront with you, really honest. I freaking love Hostess fruit pies. Specifically Hostess fruit pies. I tried the Little Debbie stuff. It just doesn't match up. So you can imagine my heartbreak when Hostess was going away. Grabbed as many fruit pies that were left on the stands. Tried to hoard them as long as I could until the freshness started getting a little questionable and finally gobbled those down. I discovered these while trekking to summer school. Since the weather was nice and I needed exercise, I walked to school, which is about three quarters of a mile. On my way to school, I would buy a couple of fruit pies for breakfast. And usually I would leave early just so I could get my fruit pies and sit on the elementary school grounds that we live next to and just enjoy them in the morning light. Very, very special time. Now, this summer was also special because it's when I discovered the X-Men. It was when the Muir Island saga was coming out, which led into X-Men number one, the whole mutant genesis thing with X-Force number one, X-Factor, etc. So it was a turning point in comic collecting for me. It was also the summer I discovered Darkhawk and Sleepwalker. And not for nothing, it's the summer I went on my first date. That's right, at 13 years old, I went on my first date. And it was every bit as awkward as you might imagine a 13-year-old going on a date would be. What man in his right mind takes a girl to see Dances with Wolves on a first date and borrows her copy of Super Mario Bros. 3? But beyond that, being a special magical summer, the important part is I discovered fruit pies. I discovered hostess treats. 
and in turn I connected those back to the ads I used to see in my old comic books. Which is our topic for this week. You see, for those of you who don't know, Hostess ads in comic books were actually little comic strips in themselves. Now, a lot of them were goofy, a lot of them were funny, but they are a blast to read and talk about. Now, in most podcasts, you hear them talk about it in terms of going through the book, oh, here's a Hostess ad. Well, since most of my material is digital or from an essential, I don't usually get to cover ads, so I'm just covering all six, that's right, six Daredevil-centric Hostess ads in one fell swoop. Now, unfortunately, eating on the microphone is kind of a terrible thing to do, because who really wants to hear me smack my lips? So I'm actually going to take a break, play a promo, and I'm actually going to have a cherry hostess pie to celebrate this momentous occasion as we look at Hostess ads starring the man without fear. So I'll be back right after this. Greetings, podcast listener. Do you like... Or maybe... How about... Or... In the year 1999, an abandoned alien battle fortress crash-landed on the planet Earth. Our most brilliant scientist and engineer spent the next 10 years reconstructing the damaged ship and studying its highly advanced space technology called Robotech. Do you remember... Our Star Blazers! Or this... The year is after Colony 195. As the world constantly changes in the chaotic era, there are two mobile suits that could turn humans into the ultimate weapon. The Wing Zero and the Epion. Or maybe even this. After the desire for blood pools all, the only hope left is the one they call D. Or this. Gene, grappler ships dead ahead! It wouldn't be fun otherwise. Let's do it! Or... If Cardus is allowed to be reborn, she'll destroy Marmo as well as Lodos. Or have you seen the latest episode of... And just like that, everything changed. At that terrible moment, in our hearts, we knew home was a pen. Humanity, cattle. If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you should check out Anime Freaks, hosted by Dr. Bill Robinson and me, Gene Hendricks. Anime Freaks is a monthly podcast covering all things anime. It is available at 2TrueFreaks.com and on iTunes under 2TrueFreaks Presents Anime Freaks. Welcome back. Man, for my money, it doesn't get better than a hostess cherry pie. I guess I should be responsible and mention that Hostess does not promote or even realize that Dave's Daredevil podcast exists. No infringement is intended. I just like Hostess fruit pies. I'm no stranger to the zinger either. Zingers, especially the raspberry zingers, are my go-to camping snack. Just doesn't get better than that red... Oh, I'm getting hungry. I gotta stop right there. Well, on break when I was eating my cherry pie, I did take a look at what would have been on stands around June of 1991, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, which is going to be a big tool in this week's episode. To give you an idea, this was the summer that the Infinity Gauntlet was occurring. Impact Comics was getting its start, and I remember reading those in a tent in my backyard. Eric Masterson was Thor. Hawkworld was still coming out. Deathstroke the Terminator was getting the first issue of his miniseries, as well as Deathlock started that summer. And to bring it on topic, Daredevil was teaming up with Ghost Rider in Daredevil number 295. Having said all of that, we're going much, much further back. 
As mentioned, these Hostess ads are actually on DCIndexes.com, which is hosted by Mike Voyles, who maintains one of the go-to databases of comics on the planet. Let me just take a moment to thank Mike for his hard work. This man is pretty much the go-to guru for comic book knowledge for almost any podcast you're going to pull down. So if you're listening to a podcast, there's publication info, there's a good chance it's from DCIndexes.com. So thank you, Mike. You are appreciated, sir. So Mike actually built a database of Hostess ads. And this includes the image of the ad itself, which is what I'm using here, as well as the issue it appeared in. Now, I'm kind of doing this as I go. I don't have a lot of notes because how do you notate an ad? So it may not have the usual polish an episode might have. But darn it, we're going to have fun with these. So taking a look at the first time Daredevil appeared in an ad. Now, bear in mind, these ads had been going on for a while. They included characters like Superman, Batman, Captain America, Hulk, etc. But Daredevil's first ad is Daredevil. And this would have appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number 156, which bore a February 1976 cover date. Now, credits on these things are nigh impossible to track down. Bob Rosakis is known for writing the bulk of them, but doesn't specify which one's his and which ones aren't. Likewise, art credits don't seem to be available. Most of these do look like a little bit of Gene Colan art, specifically the first one here, but that varies. So unfortunately, there aren't really good resources as far as who did what. But Dare Double chronicles the epic, epic saga of Ron Rainey. And Ron Rainey was a movie star who basically did 999 faces. He's a disguise artist. And somehow he's retired from the screen, but now he's got a whole new gig stealing stuff and wearing a Daredevil costume to do so. Well, Matt Murdock, knowing that it can't be Daredevil, decides to set a trap and sets out boxes of Hostess fruit pies in front of the storefront legal services. And sure enough, the faux Daredevil shows up and tries to steal them, which is where the real Daredevil swings in and nabs him. But before he takes him to jail, he's going to let him finish that Hostess cherry fruit pie because he's a generous human being. And that's the whole gist of the story. The art is sharp. Again, it looks like colon. Everything here just screams colon to me, from Matt's chin to Foggy's facial structure, the smile on Rainy's face. So I'm going to make an assumption that this is colon. And colon is smart enough to know how to draw a daredevil, clearly. He also knows how to differentiate a daredevil. For example, when we first see Rainy looking in the mirror at his costume, sure, the facial structure looks almost right, but the eyes are visible. It's almost like putting a goatee on Spock and calling him Evil Spock. And I guess the important question is, if you're going to overthink something like an ad, where and how did Rainy decide to do thievery when he's probably got some money saved back, and why would he choose Daredevil? I would think there are higher profile superheroes out in the world that have better disguises, really. If you put a Spider-Man mask on, nobody sees an inch of your body. And he's cocky enough to decide that Daredevil won't come after him, which is, of course, wrong. Since we have a single page to tell a story, it jumps from the basic premise to showing us that this has been a rampage. This is going on for about two weeks. Daredevil has stolen millions. So regardless of how wacky the idea is, Rainey's succeeding. So you got that going for you. And of course, being 1976, the fashions are spectacular. The television news anchor has a checkered jacket on, and it is stupendous. And Matt has a wonderful brown shirt. Luckily, it goes quickly enough that the fashions don't weigh down too much. And you know, there's a line where you're overthinking something and you're analyzing something. Analyzing is where there is material there to sift through and decide what is valid, what is not. I'm going to take the other way. I'm going to overthink this because you would think that a thief would go for something other than Hostess fruit pies, right? Right? I mean, 
myself accepted. If I see boxes of Hostess fruit pies out there, my first inclination would be how much. The next inclination would be how much money do I have. There's an equation there. But the great thing is that Rainy, in his fake Daredevil costume, comes prepared with basically a mailbag. He doesn't stop to think, hey, why are these fruit pies in front of a legal office? Because that would, that would seem strange to me. Or maybe he's just gotten that cocky that he actually thinks he can steal from the front of a lawyer's office and get away with it. Or maybe just the allure of that flaky crust is just too much for him. Either way, we don't get a fight. Daredevil swings in and says you're caught, and I guess Rainy decides he's caught. But the trade-off is he gets to finish up that fruit pie, and darn it, that just shows what a great guy Matt is. Letting him finish that up, he's just swell. And I love that Rainy's facing clear jail time, and yet eating this pie, he is just as happy as can be. He's in pure bliss, people. The biggest smile you've ever seen. And he's saying, real fruit filling, light tender crust, it may be curtains for me, but what a delicious exit. So you get the idea. I mean, these are simple, straightforward, goofy. But darn it, I think they're hilarious. The next is simply entitled Because. And this would have appeared in Walt Disney Comics and Stories, number 447, from October 1977, which was the month and year I was born. So you'd think this would be special to me, but man, the art looks choppy on this one. So to break down this ad, there's a crowd gathered around a tall building where a man is free climbing it. And we zoom in on this man and he's saying, I've got to do this because they're there. Can anyone understand that? And his name is Johnny Climb, and he wonders who would blame me if they knew the reason. So of course, as he gets to the top, he runs right into Daredevil. But instead of taking Daredevil's hand to help up, Johnny Climb leaps over Daredevil. And it turns out that Johnny Climb was making this climb because on top of the tallest building in the world, there are delicious hostess fruit pies, apple and cherry. And Johnny explains that he did the climb because he knew these were up here. Fantastic, unstoppable hostess fruit pies. He knew they were here and he wanted them all. Tender light crust, real fruit filling, you know all that. So having gotten his pies, Daredevil welcomes Johnny to the world of heroes. The mayor gives him the key to the city and an extra fruit pie. And the world is a better place. I guess. So to nitpick this one to death. If you were looking for the tallest building in the world in 1977, look no further than Chicago. Now true, the World Trade Center towers were the tallest buildings when they were built in 1970. However, that lasted for a year until the Sears Tower was erected, and that remained the tallest building in the world until it was surpassed by the Petronas Twin Towers in Malaysia. You may remember those buildings from the movie Entrapment, starring Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sean Connery. You've got two ways to look at this. Either there's no bearing of the tallest building in the world, which is technically the correct way, but it's not my way. We could infer that perhaps Daredevil is in Chicago. And of course, you know, maybe there's a legal convention. We can make up a backstory. That's what these are here for, to inspire, to bring imagination to the forefront. Now, in real life, in 1974, there was a man who did something similar. They called him the Human Fly, and he actually climbed the side of the World Trade Center Tower with homemade climbing equipment. That's right, the Human Fly, inspired by none other than Spider-Man. Full circle. So, the question I have, walking away from this, again, the art is choppy, by the way. This is definitely not colon. Daredevil looks awkward. His proportions are off, and in some cases you see that his costume looks like it has bigger sleeves and no glove, specifically when he's reaching down to help Johnny Climb. And at times, his head is just not shaped right at all. His forehead looks huge. Johnny Climb ends up looking pretty magnificent. This looks a little bit like Walt Simonson doing a freehand doodle. 
you know, not something he's going to put in publication, but it's that kind of style. The line work looks like Simonson. But the question, to get back to that, the question is, on the roof of the tallest building in the world, which we could infer is the Sears Tower, where Matt happens to be visiting Chicago, how did the pies get to the top of the building? Did Johnny Klein put them there as motivation? Was there some kind of WKRP pie drop where Gordon Jump's going to walk in and say, as God is my witness, I thought pies could fly? We don't get the important questions answered, people, if I don't ask them who will. Although in all seriousness, I busted out laughing at the final page when Johnny has made his climb and clearly gone back down to the ground. Daredevils just tell him, you're okay, Johnny Climb. Welcome to the world of heroes. How does climbing a building make you a hero? There were no criminals stopped here. There were no lives saved. It was just a stunt to get to the pies that we don't even know how they got to the top of the building. That's going to drive me crazy. I will lose sleep on that. In addition to that, we have the mayor of the city giving him the key to the city. For what? Endangering himself? Causing a spectacle? And in the background, we see Mr. Cotter from Welcome Back Cotter cheering him on. And Dick Tracy's hat. So you're telling me, if I place Hostess Fruit Pies on top of a building and climb that, causing a public spectacle, potential insurance hazard, potential bodily harm to me, I get the key to the city and I get to become a superhero? If I wasn't scared of heights, I would almost test that theory out. Because then I would be a superhero. And how cool is that? That's right, that's pretty darn cool. So artistically, Johnny Climb and Because is probably the weak link here. It leaves more questions unanswered. That's right, I'm overthinking a Hostess Fruit Pie ad. Because that's how I roll. Moving on to the next ad, which is entitled McBrain's Brain Drain. I'm not going to say that three times fast. We saw this ad first in Amazing Spider-Man number 178 from December of 1977. And this one begins with Daredevil swinging around the streets of New York. There's something going on because something's going down in the city. It's not specified, but he knows that all these problems are the work of one man. But who? Serendipitously, the man goes running by carrying a bag full of money. And with his radar sense, he finds that the man's pulse beat and brain pattern are abnormal, as if the man is hypnotized. So Daredevil follows him. When Daredevil gets to the destination, he is floored by a force field and stands in front of McBrain, a man with a bulbous head who has perfected his powers of concentration so others do his will and as well as being able to protect himself against anyone who dares interfere. Thinking fast, Hornhead decides to throw some Twinkies at McBrain and who can resist a Twinkie? Who can do so? No human mind can do so. And Daredevil's hunch turns out to be right because McBrain indeed does get distracted and starts munching on the Twinkies. This gives Daredevil a chance to strike. And he ties up McBrain telling him from now on you'd better concentrate on the good stuff like Hostess Twinkie snack cakes. And again, you get a big delight in every bite. So just as per pattern here, I'm going to overthink this one. Because that's what I'm here for, to overthink things. The first panel is confusing because Daredevil simply says you don't need superpowers to know all these problems are the work of one man, but who? What problem? What's going on? Really, we don't even know what's happening. Is there a crime spree? I mean, that's the only thing I can really infer, but you'd think an extra panel might help here. I mean, I know this is just an ad, but the storytelling counts. And then I don't entirely buy how Daredevil deduces the man is hypnotized, because the man is running. And how does Daredevil sense brain patterns? Daredevil's not Yuri Geller, though he has teamed up with him, but Daredevil is not psychic. Pulse pattern? I get you. Okay, something's different. But you would think there would be a physical attribute, the way the man moves, that would tip Daredevil off. 
rather than brain pattern. Because that makes me feel like Daredevil's a human EEG, and I don't dig that. That has privacy concerns for me, people. And then, of course, force fields. McBrain I kind of dig. Kind of wish they'd brought him into the comic. He's like the leader if you took out all the gamma. Now, he is much like Yuri Geller, and I'd love to see Yuri Geller face off against McBrain. And then, you know, just for fun, just throw Kool-Aid Man in there, because everything's cooler with Kool-Aid Man. He doesn't have to be a big part. Just when there's a fight happening, just have him run through the wall. Oh, yeah! And I guess Randy Macho Man Savage. Okay, okay, my fantasy crossover is going to be left for another day. And how does Daredevil defeat McBrain? By feeding him Twinkies. So, is this proposing that all superheroes who have the potential of facing supervillains should pack snacks into their utility belts or billy clubs, what have you? Because I think that's a great idea, and here's why. When I was a kid, I was told a little secret that you could walk up to a police officer and ask for trading cards, and they would usually have football or baseball cards that they would give you. And the mentality was this was good community outreach. Children felt safe walking up to police officers. This allowed some rapport. So if, say, a kid saw something criminal, they would feel comfortable reporting it. So likewise, if Daredevil, Batman, Superman, if they carry these snacks in their pocket, not only is it a last-minute save if you're facing McBrain or Johnny Climb, it's a great way to get kids to open up to you and feel like you're a bastion that they can go to if they need help. Community outreach people, superheroes need to think bigger. Think global, act local. And you know, who knows when you might run into a problem. There's very few bad days that a Twinkie or a fruit pie can't fix for me. I'm sure you'd say the same thing, or maybe I'm overthinking it once again. On a more serious note, these comics so far, these ads so far, have been careful not to show direct violence. Because again, they are advertisement. And I think that's one of the smartest things you can do. Yeah, you can infer things, but if you're a younger child, you're seeing the snacks, you're seeing Daredevil with the snacks. It'd be much like seeing any celebrity endorse a product. But you want to be careful that the image is squeaky clean. Having said that, I think McBrain so far has been my favorite villain in these hostess ads. McBrain is kind of an almost competent real villain. He would have been a really good one-off villain in, say, Steve Gerber's run. In fact, I'm not entirely sure that Gerber didn't write this ad. But really, I really like McBrain. He's put, I mean, obviously he's being presented as a goofy foil here, but I think he actually could have worked in the era that we're looking at within the context of Daredevil. I mean, he's got to be better than Masked Marauder, right? The next installment is the Peachy Keen Caper from April 1978. It would have appeared in Walt Disney's Comics and Stories number 453. This adventure finds Daredevil investigating the recent robbery of the Bergdorf Jewels, and at the crime scene, the thief's signature is left behind. A fresh peach. Turns out that this is a thief named Peachy Keen who has a couple of sycophantic thugs that hang out with him. And the man is a connoisseur of peaches, as well as being a, apparently a competent thief. So Daredevil once again sets a trap, and when Peachy Keen goes to stage another robbery, he finds Hostess Fruit Pies, peach flavored. And he gets so distracted eating the peach pies that Daredevil has a chance to sweep in, capture him, and the day is saved. Let me say one thing real quick on the peach fruit pie. It didn't pop up that often, however when it did, it was off. Cherry tasted like cherry pie, apple like apple pie, banana... Well, just like banana pudding, as well as chocolate. They all tasted right. Peach never tasted like peach. I don't know what the deviation is, but it always tasted just off. And somewhere out there, one of you is sitting there nodding your head, saying, you know what I mean. That's what podcasting is all about, people, making connections. We all agree the peach fruit pie didn't taste right. 
Now I gotta compliment this particular installment because it does find Daredevil in a normal place that you would expect to find him. He's investigating the scene of the robbery using his senses to find clues and of course finds the peach. And suddenly I'm reminded of Nicolas Cage from Face Off saying I could eat a peach for hours. But I'm not gonna do that sound clip. Nope, you'll never hear a Nicolas Cage sound effect on this show. But Peachy Keen himself looks like, it looks like he should be officiating an auction in some backwoods town. And maybe it's the 70s fashions, but it is garish, and he doesn't look as spry as you would expect a thief would, because the thief has to move at times. Looks like this guy's been munching on peaches day in, day out. But he's got a nice pair of loafers. That'll compliment. I'll always compliment a man who wears good loafers. So once again, Daredevil sets the trap. And this time, it's just to distract this man. It's actually kind of sad he's taking advantage of this man's weakness. This man clearly is a stress eater. Let's be honest, doing a jewelry heist is pretty stressful. Heck, when I'm in stressful traffic, I tend to want to overeat. I think this is mean-spirited of Daredevil, however it works, and I guess a thief is a thief, right? And just think, if Hostess had stopped at making great apple and cherry pies, Peachy Keen would still be out robbing jewelry stores. Isn't it great that pies help solve crime? If only you could get the pies on, like, CSI. Just picture Ted Danson using a Hostess peach pie to solve a recent gruesome murder. I would use CSI Miami and play the theme, however, that show has been cancelled. So, can't do a David Caruso joke. Thanks, CBS. So now looking at the penultimate installment in the Hostess Daredevil saga, which is Daredevil vs. Johnny Punk. It opens with a, well, cliché, punk musician named Johnny Punk, who's deciding to raise the decibels to mega pitch at his concert, and the high-frequency sound waves will lock the crowd's brains. And in that instance, they'll do whatever Johnny Punk commands. Outside, Daredevil overhears the plan and swings in, and Daredevil has to think fast. When Johnny threatens to blow the roof off the auditorium with sound waves. And there is just enough electro potential to do that, so Daredevil chucks some hostess fruit pies at the guys. And of course, they're so busy eating fruit pies, they forget about their little crime, and Daredevil's able to wrap them up in his billy club. And he swings away, saying at least he doesn't have to listen to Johnny Punk's music anymore. Now I gotta say first off, the art on this particular installment goes up several notches. I know these are just ads, and storytelling isn't the primary focus, it's selling fruit pies. However, some of these have been really choppy. For example, Peachy Keen Caper looked like it was drawn for Hanna-Barbera. I mean, the Great Gazoo was just on the verge of showing up when that particular installment ended. But like the first installment with the Daredouble, this one looks sharp. It doesn't look like Colin's drawing it, but it wouldn't surprise me if this was Barry Windsor Smith. Daredevil looks on model. As does his billy club, the city does look appropriately moody. And Johnny Punk, again, he's a cliché. And I'm not sure exactly what's supposed to be going on here, because I didn't know punk music included trumpets. And yet, there's a trumpet player there. It looks like the backside of Rowdy Rowdy Piper. And Johnny Punk reminds me a lot of American Flag, because he has the double-breasted leather jacket and tie. But he's got the green mohawk that tells me he must be a dreadnought from G.I. Joe. And I like that Sonny Bono has turned punk, because he's standing right by Johnny Punk. This would be a great turn for Sonny Bono, much better than when he substituted as the Riddler on Batman. And as is the custom, Daredevil happens to be in the neighborhood and happens to overhear this conversation over, well, sound. There's a trumpet player there, trumpets are loud, there's a guitar player. The concert's apparently ongoing, but Johnny Punk's just in the back, apparently on a break. Now here's the flaw in Johnny Quick's plan. If they turn up the decibels, wouldn't the monitors that they use also get to them? Wouldn't they be susceptible to the hypnotic power of Punk? It's just not good thinking. There is a really excellent panel where Daredevil is sizing up the situation with his radar rings emanating out from him as per usual. It looks really gritty and really dark. I really do like this panel a lot. 
I mean, most of the time I've been making jokes, this is actually really good art. And of course, the villains are quite happy to be captured in Daredevil's Billy Club. Because, hey, they've got fruit pies. That's right, Daredevil has fruit pies in that holster that he should be using for his billy club, which is why we never see the billy club out of his hand. See, it's all been thought out. If the billy club's in his hand, the pies will fit in the holster. We all know that's not true. There's an interdimensional portal in which the pies are able to appear and be thrown at people. Now, if that could be a real superpower and I was eligible for it, I would step up in a heartbeat. I mean, the portal makes sense here because we see half the crowd apparently has fruit pies now. Daredevil can't carry that many pies on his person? Come on, man. Somewhere out there is a hostess pie portal, and I need to find it. So moving on now to the epic conclusion of the Daredevil hostess saga. Daredevil's longest fight from November 1981. This baby would have appeared in Ghost Rider number 65. It opens media res with Daredevil fighting babyface Johnny, the biggest bruiser to ever hit Manhattan. And the two of them have been fighting for three hours at the boxing gym. Feeling like he's fighting the Hulk and getting exhausted, Daredevil has to think fast before the fight takes a bad, bad turn. So Daredevil presents some hostess fruit pies from a nearby locker. And this soothes babyface Johnny as he enjoys the delicious fruit filling inside that tender, flaky crust. Now calm, babyface Johnny says, hey, Daredevil, what were we fighting about anyway? And Daredevil's just not sure. All he asked is, what did you think of Jack Murdoch's record? And we all have a laugh because babyface Johnny, he, he thought Daredevil told him he was smelling of dirty socks instead of Murdoch. You see the confusion there? Oh, hilarity ensues. Now, this particular installment really does look like it's Gene Colan. If not, it's using the Gene Colan model very closely. The facial structure, the smile marks, they're all there. Except that babyface Johnny looks more like baby Huey than the Hulk. Which, I mean, I guess we can forgive. This is supposed to be funny and cute, and it succeeds on that quite admirably. But three hours. And I gotta admit, I mean, as far as the ads go, the opening to this one is pretty, really exciting. You jump right in, and it's actually very attention-getting. The rest of it is anticlimactic, but it's an ad. Only people with a lot of time on their hands would analyze an ad. Whoops. But to bring it in, to bring it serious, I mean, yes, I've taken the piss out of some of these and overanalyzed in some places, but let's be honest, we're here to have fun, and that's what these ads are. There's really not a better way to while away an afternoon than having fun, going over these ads, and talking into a microphone. Okay, that's not entirely true, but I've still had a blast going over these. These are something I've been meaning to get around to. Didn't know exactly where and when I'd be able to fit those in. For those that think I'm taking these too seriously, bear in mind, this is all in fun. But I don't want to overstay my welcome. This has been a great rainy day episode. I appreciate you all joining me. I'm going to be back next week in seven short days. Until then, of course, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. He is the one. They call a man without fear. Far away, whenever danger's near. There's devil fight for what is right. There's devil fight for you tonight. You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show via the RSS link, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Or stream it on the Stitcher app, which gives you instant access to a wide range of audio programs. Email for the show can be submitted to dave at daredevilpodcast.com or through the website's handy contact form. The show is on Facebook. Simply search for Dave's Daredevil Podcast. 
And I am on Twitter as well. My username is at Dave Weeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists solely for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening. Rainbow Ghost Rider, when you hear his name.